Here's what I'd like to do uh, in the next probably 20 minutes is explain why we do this. Uh, if you've been in and around church for a while, it may be something like communion that you've just seen happen, and it's like this rite of passage, and it's something that we're asked to step into, but it's something so much bigger than that. And so what I want to do is just talk through it. Um, and literally, I have one fresh towel left. Um, and we have clothes in the women's bathroom and the men's bathroom. I'm not promising that they will fit, um, but they are there. And at the end of service, I'm going to give an opportunity for anyone in the room that wants to get baptized. So just to put that in your thoughts and in your noggin. Uh, and I'll explain a little bit of um, over the history of Reach, how we've had some people in these moments um, kind of step into that. So before I get into uh, this, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, your heart for us is that we would know you and serve you. And Lord, I pray that today as we look at baptism, as we look at this first step of obedience and following you, Lord, that you would inspire us to live a life of obedience. Lord, that we wouldn't be a people that act in obedience once, but we would be a people that choose to surrender to you, because we believe that in that, our greatest peace and joy is there in that moment, or nothing else in this world will satisfy like you will. Help us see that, and Lord, help us embrace you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So what is baptism? Christian baptism illustrates in a dramatic style the death burial, and resurrection of Christ. At the same time, it also illustrates our death to sin and our new life in Christ. As a sinner confesses the Lord Jesus, he dies to sin and is raised to a brand new life, being submerged into water represents the death to sin and emerging from the water represents the cleansed, holy life that follows salvation. Romans 6, 4 puts it this way, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. But it is not just a symbolism. It is about obedience. Our life in Christ is one marked by dying to self and living in obedience to our new Savior King. The truth of our happiness and joy is tied directly to our obedience. Disobedience is our joy killer. Think about it for a second. Almost everything that you're struggling with right now is something that you've either missed an opportunity to do or you've done purposefully or it has happened to you. All those things have robbed us of our joy. It is rarely the, the obedience to Jesus is the thing that we regret. It's the things that we don't do or do. So the truth about that for a second is, as a believer in Jesus, the first act of obedience is baptism. Jesus himself was baptized. Now, a different scenario, this was John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance, which is what 
I mean, this is partly that, but this is not the baptism like we are doing here because there was no death, burial, and resurrection. There was none of that. But Jesus went to John to be baptized, which is an odd occasion. When since your birth, John the Baptist knew that Jesus was the coming Messiah. Now, he didn't understand it, and we see him struggle with it, but when he came to the water bank to get baptized, John the Baptist was like, no. Like, I don't feel like I'm worthy to do this. And Jesus commanded him to do it, to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill this act. And what happened? Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist. He comes out of the water, and the heavens open up, and the Holy Spirit descends in a dove, and you hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my Son who I'm well pleased, which I love because it was, it was before his ministry even began. Jesus was pleased with him, and he's baptized, and he goes out into the wilderness in his trial, but that's the beginning of his obedience. I mean, of course, Jesus was obedient before, but it was the beginning of his public ministry where he did everything that he, the Father asked. He said everything the Father commanded to him. And that was Jesus demonstrating this act to us. And then at the end of his ministry in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, he gives us the commandment. So if, if nothing else, if, if we ignore all the other stuff that I'm going to talk about today, this is the one thing that Jesus told all of his disciples, which we've been talking about for weeks. As what does it mean to follow disciples follow Jesus? If you aren't following Jesus, then you're probably not a disciple. But this is what he says. At the end of his uh, ministry, before he goes to be with the Father, he said in verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It is, it is our mission. If you are a child of God, it is a, the, this is your mission. Let me tell you a little bit about my story so you can, um, it may resonate with those that grew up in the South. So um, I grew up in central North Carolina, um, going to church every Sunday, youth group as soon as I was of age, um, would say culturally, I would have told you I was a believer then, but I didn't really understand it. Um, But culturally, I was a Christian. I had adopted this identity which was the church that I was in and the things that they had taught, and I would have said, this is what, this was me. But there was no, outside of Sunday, there was no devotion, there was no surrender, there was no lordship, there was none of that. There was just, in this part of my life, this is what I'm identifying with. This is going to make me sound a little weird, but that's all right. If you've been here long enough, you know I don't mind that. So right before I was turning 16, I decided I needed to get baptized because I needed to make sure that if I died, that I would go to heaven. I mean, literally, this is my thought. I was kind of a morbid kid. I honestly thought sometime before 18 I would cease to exist. I don't know why. I'm still here, though, 44, still here. I made it past 18. But in my, in my 16-year-old crazy brain, I'm like, i got to make sure that I don't go to hell and I go to heaven. In my brain, that was getting baptized. And so I skipped the whole process where you actually go through what baptism means because that had already happened. And I was just like, Pastor, I need to get baptized. Yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I do, blah, blah, blah. And I was going to a Presbyterian church at the time, so I got sprinkled. 
nothing against sprinkled. I mean, you, if you were sprinkled before, I'm not discounting your baptism, but this is just where I was at. And so in, my, in that moment, I, I felt like if I died and I went to the gates of heaven and they're asking me, do you belong here? I'd be like, let me pull out my, my concealed carry card. Here's my insurance card. I'd be like, I, I belong here. And my only reason for belonging there was that this moment that I had in baptism. But the truth is, is that two years after this event, I met Jesus personally. Not as a cultural believer, but as a believer. I acknowledged my own personal sin. I knew without a doubt that I needed someone. I needed Jesus. And I said yes to Jesus in the summer of 94, made a public confession of it at a camp that I was at and got discipled for the next two years and went on with my life. Loving Jesus, trying to, in I mean, it was a rocky road. Let me just say, still a little bit of a rocky road. Still loving Jesus, wanting to be obedient to Jesus. And so I got married. A couple of years later, we had moved back to my hometown. We were at church. And one morning, they're talking about baptism. And in the message about baptism, they were like, baptism follows salvation. If you got baptized before you were saved, you were just a wet sinner. Because it's an acknowledgement. I mean, if you look through the epistles, it is literally the thing that you do to acknowledge who Jesus is for you. And so my wife and I decided, because she was kind of the same way, she had been baptized really early, and we wanted to publicly, almost like Simon, tell people, like, we're, we're property of Jesus. And so the next baptism that they had was at, and if you're not from my hometown, so you may not know this, but it was at Pine Bluff Lake. Mm. I mean, it was the classiest of all lakes. It was not. It was, it's like kind of a trash lake, but um, it's not. I'm sorry for anybody who knows Pine Bluff. You know, it's great. And so we, we got baptized as believers, and it was amazing. And so what I want to do here is tell you three things following this. See, um, baptism is not just some religious rite, which is what I did. I I thought I had to do this one step to get my place and position in heaven when I hadn't even made my commitment to the person who gets me there. I was trying to circumvent Jesus and have baptism so I could get heaven when you don't get heaven without Jesus, just so you know. It is your personal public declaration that you could not save yourself and you want to tell the world that Jesus has the power to save you. There's an interesting story in Acts 2, and I see it through my lens, so um, forgive me because I have like a little, like he disappears at the end. So Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. So Philip, a follower of Jesus, is spending time with his Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit tells him, go here. And he goes out to this road, and there's an Ethiopian eunuch that's here in um, his carriage. He's reading Isaiah about Jesus, and he's, like, confused. And Philip comes up beside the cart because the Holy Spirit had led him there and said, Hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he was like, I don't. And so he invites him into um, his carriage. He comes up there, and he explains the gospel through what is communicated there in Isaiah. And he was telling about Jesus, and at the end of the conversation, he's like, I want Jesus. 
And then he says, what keeps me from getting baptized? And they're riding their carriage down the road beside a river. Nothing. They stop right there. They get out. And this is where I make it Heath's version. So don't be offended by this. But in Heath's version, Philip takes the Ethiopian eunuch. They get down in the river. He baptizes him. It says this in the text. So I'm not like totally crazy. And he baptizes him. And when he comes out of the water... Philip is gone. Now, I mean, you could take it, whatever. Maybe they parted company. And he says he never saw him again. And then he was somewhere else. Like, that's my story. Because that's the way it reads in my brain. Because Philip was being obedient. Because the Holy Spirit communicated, do this. And I believe the Holy Spirit still communicates to us. To go and, and just like, and I, I keep going back to, and I don't know why this whole series, I keep going back to this idea of the water into wine. That Jesus told the servants to get water when they had a wine issue. 30-gallon containers, six of them, I believe it was, bucket by bucket. It was obedience. Because Jesus asked them to do something that they didn't understand. They didn't know what was happening in that moment but they were obedient because jesus said and this is what our life should be modeled by so water baptism is a public declaration of these three things first you are a follower of jesus acts 2 41 it says those who accepted his message were baptized this is probably the greatest example of the work of the holy spirit peter could not get his act together He constantly did things wrong, constantly was making mistakes, completely rejected Jesus through his denial three times after he told him to do, after he told him to do it, hours from that moment. He did it. Jesus restores him on the bank after they'd fished, but tells them to wait, and the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, and Peter gets up and preaches a sermon. And I honestly don't believe it was anything about Peter. I think it was his surrender to the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people said yes to Jesus and got baptized. You want to work out? Baptize 3,000 people. 3,000 people. I mean, like that, that, because they were declaring it was a, it was new life. And some of these people had been following Jehovah for their whole life. And they finally see the the picture that he's been painting all throughout the Old Testament is this Jesus, and they're surrendering to Jesus, becoming a follower of him. And that was their first declaration. The second declaration is that you're starting a new life in Christ. I read this one already, but let me read it again. Romans 6, 4, it says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too would live a new life. The same power, Romans 8, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead comes and lives inside of us. The light, the power that would enable you to be the man or woman that God has called you to be is not inside yourself. It's in the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. 
it's this life. We're, we're starting a new life. And it is, and let me, and I've said this over and over again because I think some in this room and some that hear and read scriptures like this, they're like, man, my life is different, but I don't know that it feels new. And I just want to tell you that that's the surrender. Imagine yourself, because this is what Jesus talked to Nicodemus about the second birth. Everybody has to be born of water, which if you're in this room, you were. You were born. Okay, I'm going to leave it right there. Um, but you have to be born of the Spirit. And if you've had children or been around small children, you can don't go into our kids' ministry area after this. Sorry. If you've been around children, imagine how much grace and mercy is given to a child as they learn how to live in this world. I mean, no one's like, you stupid one-year-old. Like, why can't you walk? I want you to go to the refrigerator and get me something. Why aren't you doing the things? You know, there's grace because we understand that they don't know any better, but they're learning. It's amazing what they'll quickly adapt to. And as a, in our spiritual life, it is the same way. We're learning to live again, and it takes time. It takes grace, and that's the beauty of Jesus. So we get to start this new life. And the third thing is we get to be part of a new family. As much as all the Bradshaws are in this room right now, so a lot of you are related to each other, I'm just saying. But you, you get a, an extended family. Galatians 3, 26 and 27, it says, You are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So I, that's why I love communion. It's the one thing that makes us family. It's the identifier. that What makes us family isn't that we're related by marriage or by blood. What makes us family is the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us on the cross. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. We are family because of what Jesus has done for us. And so here's what I want to do. Like I said at the beginning, if you're here in this room, we, we had two, there's two people I talked to, uh, Megan uh, and Ryan, um, our, the guy who's playing the bass. He said, for, he told me in between services, he said for 10 years, Every time it was a baptism service, he felt like the Holy Spirit was like, you need to get baptized. And he's like, oh, you know, I've been, I've been a child of God for a long time, and he didn't. And I don't remember, I told him today, I was like, which sermon was that? He was like, every bit of that sermon. I was like, man, I need that one again. Um, but he was like, every, you dismantled every one of my objections of why I didn't. And he went into the bathroom and got clothes that did not fit him and walked back in here and got baptized because it is a step of obedience. Megan was the same way. We were doing baptisms years ago, and I was over here um, talking to someone, baptizing them, and Megan's playing, and all of a sudden I see her put down her guitar and leave, and I'm like, like, what happened? <laughs> and a few minutes later, she comes with a very oversized, big black shirt um, and got baptized, and her story was very similar, that she had gotten um, committed her life. She got baptized earlier and got committed her life to Jesus, but never made a public declaration of it as a believer. And she wanted, she felt the Holy Spirit going, you. And she didn't want to. And, and so I say all that not to guilt you into getting baptized today. I say all that to say, if you want to get baptized today, we'll do that. Hands down. 
But everyone else in this room, obedience is the freedom that we get in God. And so I, I'm, I, I find it hard to believe that in this room there aren't people that have heard something from the Holy Spirit calling you into something, to do something, to, to be somewhere, to, to, to maybe start a new ministry, maybe, you know, to whatever, to call, to call somebody that there's things that we're, for reasons of inconvenience, not walking in obedience. And I just want to encourage you, your pathway to joy and peace is in obedience to Jesus. So whatever that means for you today, I encourage you, to take a step forward. See, life change, that radical change that you want in your life, maybe you're struggling with this or that, and you're like, oh, I just want this to happen. For that to happen, you have to take one step, and then another step, and then another step. And I truly believe that our steps of obedience lead to other steps of obedience because we get to see the fruit. Just like Philip. Could you imagine how exciting it was for Philip when he finds this chariot, which the Holy Spirit said he'd find, and he interacts with this person, and then right then he's like, I want this, I want to get baptized. Could you imagine how easy it was for him the next time when God says go? That first step of obedience is painful, and there's lots of insecurity in it, but it leads to a life worth living. So I'm going to invite our worship team up and I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to worship. God is bigger than whatever issue you're struggling with. God has communicated his love for you infinitely by what he did for you. So if you're here and you're like, man, I just, you know, I don't feel that love, I don't see it. Revisit the cross at the end of all four Gospels and read it. Because that's what he did to communicate his love. He didn't just give you great words to follow and practice. He demonstrated his love for you in action. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for your presence in this room. I am grateful for your Holy Spirit's work right now. And Lord, I pray that we would be people of obedience. That we would be people that are inspired by what you did. And that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit that you sent to live in us. So that we could act and bring change to our world around us. And so Lord, this morning for those in this room that are struggling with purpose, are struggling with what's next, are struggling with that one thing that you've asked of them that they're not willing to surrender or lay down, Lord, I pray that you would allow your spirit to soften the resolve. That we would trust you, not just with our eternity and our place and position in heaven that we would trust you with our now life. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your willingness and patience to watch and see. And thank you more than 
forever that you call people into your kingdom. Thank you for Simon and Declan and for Allie, for their willingness to surrender. And Lord, I pray that their life would be modeled by that action of obedience. 